This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Got it. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. The Carolina Disco Turkeys? Yeah, we'll get to that important bit of local news later. But it can wait, though, because the next domino has fallen with Tar Heel basketball today. Dayron Sharp has announced he will declare for the NBA draft. And we've covered so many of these stories over the years, given how big college basketball is around here and how many guys declare for the draft after one year. Unlike most of those situations, though, I'm conflicted with how I feel about Dayron choosing to go pro. Let me be clear, though. I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. It's a personal decision for him. And clearly, after consulting with his family, he felt the right thing to do was to go pro. And I felt that was the most logical conclusion. But knowing what I know about what Tar Heel basketball means in that family, I know this wasn't an easy decision for him. From a business perspective, he had to go. He's probably going to be a lottery pick. Given how much Roy Williams' praise matters in NBA circles, which is why Cole Anthony was a top 15 pick when many people mocked him to be a mid-20s guard in last year's draft, and Kobe White was taken in the first six or seven picks, and in that same draft, Cameron Johnson was a shocking lottery pick. I think Dayron's the type of player somebody's going to fall in love with and what Roy, Roy has said about this kid all season long, I think, reflects that. Here's the statement that he put out today. Dayron's going to be a fantastic professional player. I loved coaching him. He has tremendously high motor. He's naturally one of the greatest rebounders I've ever coached. Think about that. And a young man I truly enjoyed. I think over the next few years, if he gets even a little more disciplined, a little more focus, we're going to see an unbelievable player at the professional level, just like I think he had the chance to be an unbelievable player here for us. I loved coaching him and will cheer for him forever. That sentence, I'll say it again. He's naturally one of the greatest rebounders I've ever coached. Think of all the Carolina big men we've seen. We've seen the system that they run. Rim-running bigs from Marvin Williams to Tyler Hansborough to the national championship team with Kennedy Meeks, Isaiah Hicks, and Tony Bradley, who was uh, coincidentally a one-and-done. Dayron Sharp, among the best natural rebounders Roy's ever coached. And it makes sense. He has the highest offensive rebounding percentage of any player across college basketball, North Carolina, always seems to be one of the best rebounding teams in America. And it's not going to go out of style the way that Dayron plays. Great second jump. Great instincts when it comes to rebounding and also blocking shots. He was the Tar Heels' best uh, shot blocker. And he also has great offensive skill set. He's a guy that any team would love to pick, I think, and get a steal in the 7 to 12, maybe 14 range in the first round. So from that perspective, he had to go. Great passer. I think he was the best passer, and it wasn't even close on this Tar Heel basketball team. That's going to be something teams love too. 
here's the part where I'm conflicted. I wish he would have had the opportunity to get the Carolina experience. I would say the same thing if he grew up a Demon Deacon fan and went to Wake Forest or fell in love with Duke or NC State or wherever. I know because I lived in Winterville, North Carolina, where he's from. It says online he's from Greenville, North Carolina. Winterville is the very small subset of Greenville. And I've been to his games at South Central High. I broadcasted a few of them. I've met his family. They love the Tar Heels. Huge Tar Heel basketball fans. He was looking forward to being a Tar Heel. He even said so in the statement he put out today, that he had offers from many other places. He wanted to be a Tar Heel. This was the place for him. It's just something I hope he thought through that you only get to be a college basketball player once. You only get this time in your li- time of your life before things become more complicated once. And you didn't get the experience that every other Carolina basketball player's gotten over the last half century. Half century plus. Running out of a tunnel and having thousands upon thousands of fans cheering for you, feeling how big college basketball can be. Being the big man on campus, getting to go to parties and getting to go to homecoming football games on Fridays at Keenan and then the spring after the season ends, relaxing and just hanging out on the quad, going to classes in person, making relationships relationships with fellow students. You didn't get a chance to do that if you were a freshman at North Carolina this year. So that's something I hope he's not going to regret as somebody who grew up in this state and probably dreamed of being a Tar Heel first before dreaming of becoming an NBA player. Now all eyes are on the other bigs for Carolina. What's Garrison Brooks going to do now? It seemed like he was for sure gone after the home finale against Duke. He was emotional. It looked like he was saying goodbye to the Smith Center. And saying goodbye to Tar Heel fans. He was emotional after last Friday night, as you would understand it. He says, he said, I've been considering coming back. A lot of that probably had to do with what happens with Walker Kessler and now here with Sharp. Would he consider returning? I don't think he's a guy you have to worry about going into the transfer portal. It's either going to be, I want to draw a paycheck playing this game, even if it means going overseas and doing so or coming back to the Tar Heels for a super senior season. He would be welcomed back with open arms. He's not the most important player that we're thinking about right now, though. I think Robert knows where I'm headed here. The most important player North Carolina needs an answer from now is... What's he going to do? Because the nightmare scenario... I don't want to panic Tar Heel fans right now, but there is a scenario, given the ominous tweets that his dad has sent out, Armando Baycott transfers out and Garrison Garrison decides he wants to go pro. In that scenario, I don't know what happens. Already, with Kessler and Sharp leaving, North Carolina needs to find another big somewhere. Unless Sterling Manley is going to be that third big and you feel he can rotate in 
after missing two full seasons aside from spot duty this year. Incidentally, he looked pretty good in the spot duty that he played. Yeah, you probably need to find another big because this recruiting class they have right now, you got a guard from Kinston and you have a wing from somewhere else. It's not a lot of size there. Roy did not anticipate losing Kessler. He felt it was a great foundation. I'd be interested to know how he feels about it now. It's going to be a busy offseason for North Carolina. We caught up with the newest Carolina Panther, Hassan Reddick, yesterday, who I was really impressed by in our first interaction, just how candid he could be. This is something that he said that I think sums up his situation best right now, talking about why he is a Carolina Panther and why it's a one-year $8 million deal. Teams had concerns about last year, um, being as though it was my first year on the edge, you know, with the production that I have, you know, they want to see if this is something, you know, am I the road deal or was last year just, uh, you know, a fluke? That's pretty blunt. It's pretty honest, too. Teams are wondering whether or not I'm a fluke, which means Carolina is going to be getting a guy on a prove-it deal in the purest sense who's going to be playing with a massive chip this season to prove the 12 and a half sacks or 12 sacks he had last year, not a fluke. That's who he is. And he has to feel like he deserved more money than he got. He has to feel, even in the COVID year where the salary cap went down, he's not stupid. He can look side by side and see what other edge rushers have been making this past offseason, what Henriksen got from Cincinnati, what Carl Lawson got from the Jets, Matthew Judon with the Patriots, Shaq Barrett getting tagged by the Bucks, Kerrigan expecting to get big money, and Melvin Ingram too. He, he, he obviously sees these things. One year, $8 million, and according to David Newton of ESPN, the cap hit is only going to be $1.2 or close to $2 million this year. That's nothing for Carolina. This is in no way a problem for the Panthers. The Panthers got a steal. They got a guy with 12 sacks last year who's in his 20s that could transform your defense, and even if he doesn't, you practically are only for the, on the hook for a $10 million cap hit or a $2 million cap hit, and you can get rid of him as soon as next year. All the pressure is on Hassan. The knock that has been attached to him most is that he was only productive last year. Before that, he wasn't really a productive player, which is a fair argument. 12 sacks last year, not and he had five against the New York Giants. Some of it came in spot time. I watched all the sacks that he had from a year ago. That's fair criticism, but he characterizes it as, I had 12 sacks last year because of a positional change more than anything else. You know, I was put back into my natural position, you know, um, moved from, uh, you know, off ball backer back to onto the edge, which I played for the most part when I was in college. Um, and, you know, that's that's where I belong. You know, that's where my skills, my talent uh, shines the most. And after last year, um, you know, as you can see, it's the best move for me, man. That's where, you know, that's the best fit. And that's where I belong. He belongs on the edge, but he also chose Carolina for a reason. 
The temple connection, we joke about it. Oh, yeah, is he just going to bring in another Temple Lau? Apparently, Hassan called up P.J. Walker, who was the quarterback at Temple when they were together with Coach Rule, and he picked his brain about how the organization was ran, how things were going in year one under Coach Rule, and he felt comfortable enough that the coaching staff, Rule and Phil Snow, the D.C., they were going to look look out for him. More than anything else, they were going to put him in the best possible position and utilize him the way he feels he should be utilized. So if you are looking for a prove-it year, a prove-it contract, what better situation for Hassan Reddick than the Carolina Panthers? You're being reunited with your college coaches in the pros. What an opportunity that is with some of your college teammates. You used to be a walk-on at Temple. Matt Rule did so much for your career. But you understand Phil Snow, how he calls a defense. Scheme-wise, you're going to be playing your natural position, which you didn't most of your time in Arizona. And also, as an edge rusher, pressure is going to be taken off of you because you're not seen to be even the primary rusher despite the fact you had 12 sacks a year ago. You're never going to face a double team when Brian Burns is lined up on the other side. So this is A++ for the Carolina Panthers. And for Hassan, you can understand it from his viewpoint why he would go to a team that only won five games last year for his prove-it season. Carolina, I think, is going to get a player that transforms their defense playing with the chip all season long in Hassan Reddick. Check this out. We're on in five. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Okay, let's get this show rolling. On Sports Hub Triad. Since I was dog-sitting last weekend, Robert, I stayed at home and I watched every game. Every NCAA tournament basketball game I watched, which means I know all the commercials by heart. And many of them, not a big fan of. With all due respect to Lily uh, and all this, all the hype she's getting during the NCAA tournament, I think we've had enough there. But something I haven't had enough of is French vanilla, Rocky Road, chocolate peanut butter, cookie dough. It's something I say with my girlfriend. It's something that I say with other friends of mine. And I know somebody agrees with me on this and many others. It's Clinton Yates joining us now. Uh, from the undefeated in ESPN who has the story where he had a chance to talk to tag team about the scoop. There it is, Geico commercial. The story on the undefeated behind the delighted success of tag team's hit commercial with Geico. Clinton Yates, welcome on to the triad. What the hell, man? How did this happen? First of all, there will be no Lily slander in this household, okay? (laughs) She is a fan favorite where I'm from, if you get my meaning. So just let that be said. Number two, um, this is a funny situation. It's glad to be back. I'm good to talk to you because this is another scenario where I just got an email and it was like, hey, friend of the show, so to speak, we have something to give you because we made this commercial and we know everybody loves it and maybe you'll promote it, whatever. And like I said, this is not SEC bag men territory, but every once in a while, if you're a journalist, you get pitches like this. I got this pitch, and my reply was very plainly, instant reply all. I don't care about the gift. 
I want tag team and everybody involved because this commercial has been living rent-free in my head since the Super Bowl. I need the story. It was simple journalistic instinct that made me go after it, and that's how that started. What's your favorite part of the uh, of the commercial? Like when you watch the oh, commercial, what's the thing that makes you laugh? This is a non-question. It is when the dad walks in, peeps the scene, looks a little confused, comes back, and then hits that scoop move in perfect timing that is so incredibly embarrassing that the daughter, <laughs> Amethyst is her name, the actress, walks off. It was that immediately to the point that when I interviewed him, I had to ask that first before I even like got the pleasantries out of the way. I was like, I need to know exactly what your motivation was right there. And as it turns out, Anthony Goolsby is his name. He's a former um, baseball player. He played college baseball. And, you know, so he's got the hand movement. He was an infielder like myself. And he was like, bro, I just freestyled it. I mean, I looked at it. I was like, there's this, there's that, there's this and that. Won't, you know, and I was like, wow, what a moment. So it was, it was very cool. So that is the one to me. Easily the most exciting part of like many in the commercial. My favorite part is a specific shot where it's just tight on the bowl of ice cream, and I think I think it's DC Glenn who's just pointing to the ice cream as they're singing "Scoop." There it is. That's my favorite part of the entire commercial. There was like there's a whole subset of people that hit me up like I can't believe you didn't highlight this particular part. I'm like, okay, guys, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. That was awesome. I know, but again, there were so many great things. It was. It was a great time, too, because, like, look, you know, look, whoop, there it is. I mean, what are we talking about here? Songs from 1993. I was 12 when that song came out. Like, do I really actually care about the legacy of whoop, there it is as an actual track? No. Do I care about the legacy of tag team as brothers that are artists in the business in terms of what they're doing and keeping things going? Absolutely. That was the coolest part about all of this. Maybe next time. These dudes is that these dudes know what's going on, right? You know, so it was really cool, man. They, brought, they got to bring it back, and they're happy about it, and they brought the energy. So it was, it was, it's a fun story for sure. Clinton Yates from The Undefeated with us. The story behind the delighted, delightful success of Tag Team's hit commercial with Geico. He's with us on Sports Up Triumph. Before we get to minor league baseball, I need you to share your thoughts on the big story of the day. I'm not talking about Dayron Sharp going pro from Carolina. I'm talking about Topanga's boyfriend, is it husband or boyfriend? Husband. They got it's a husband. They got a license to fight. Okay, that's Yo. right. Uh, getting a cinnamon wow. toast crunch bowl that had shrimp tails in it, and then had the folks at Cinnamon Toast Crunch hitting them up, saying that what he believed to be rat excrement was actually, in fact, sugar, which is an amazing First assertion. First what did you all, make of this story? Tremendous deployment, tremendous deployment of the word excrement there. I commend you on that. Thank you. Secondarily, you have no idea how much time I spent talking about this with various PR people that are my friends over the past 15 hours for no actual reason. But the third thing is very simple. I eat shrimp tails. You know why? Because shrimp tails are delicious. Okay? When you eat a shrimp, and I don't care if you guys don't care about my nomenclature, it's two parts. To the scramps, as we like to say. The fleshy part and the crunchy part. And the tastes go together. Okay? It's very simple. This is not that difficult. I know all your weird family members are always like, oh, you don't eat the shrimp tails. They're going to get caught up in your digestive tract. That's a lie. Okay? Just eat them. They're good. They taste good. And all the flavor comes down to the tails when you actually cook them up, whether saute or fry. So that's a fact. Secondarily, you don't respond to DMs in public. 
Come on, PR people. You have to know better than that. So there was a lot of things that happened in that situation. Never mind Topanga, you know, which is crazy. So, you know, it's just, it's just a big game in pop culture, a big week in pop culture overall if you're, like, you know, a fan of the 90s. Clinton Yates with us here. Want to get your thoughts on minor league baseball and specifically the new wooden bat team name that was introduced today here in the triad. It's uh, the Coastal Plain League where you got, now this is amazing, the Carolina Disco Turkeys. The Carolina Disco Turkeys, a thing now in the Wooden Bat League, a league that brought you the Macon Bacon, the Savannah Bananas, and many other tremendous minor league baseball names. I know you love minor league baseball. Do you have a favorite minor league baseball nickname? Okay, let's let's listen. You know that I'm smarter than that. That we don't have to go that ten thousand foot. We can break this thing down from a fundamental fundamental standpoint, as Coach Kent Murphy used to say back on the internet, <laughs> which is very simple. All right, I have a very particular taste when it comes to naming patterns. The Macon Bacon, okay, that's a B plus. The Savannah Bananas, that's an A plus. Yes. If you're getting into two name two name situations, and I don't want to throw shots. But as we're doing in the Appy League now, where every team is a two-name, two-name situation, I'm good. You know what I mean? That's a lot of work for me, you know, because, like, that sounds extra gimmicky because, like, look, no, like, kid playing baseball is going to name their team the Disco Turkeys. I love that name for what it's worth. But that's like a grown-up naming a team name that's fun, but, like, you're not going to call them the Vipers or whatever, which some fifth grader would probably call them. Like, to me, I lean more towards what would the children say, you know? And Disco Turkey's just fun. The logo is tremendous for what it's worth. I've seen it, so there's that. But that's kind of where I am on that. Two-word nicknames and two-word mascots are not my bag very specifically, but that doesn't mean that they suck. It just means that they're not for me. It's different. Our mutual friend, Ryan McGee, has already oh, yeah. told us that his next book is going to be about his summer working for the Asheville Tourist, I think in 95 or 96, and that we need to send him all the interviews we've done over the last few years because it's become a segment we enjoy on the show. Every time McGee's with us, he shares a story from his summer working for the Tourist, everything from a mountain man that lived in center field, beyond center field, showing up with like a viper hanging from his arm, not not like around his arm, hanging from his arm with the like its fangs in his arm. And there are like a number of great stories like that that you only get in minor league baseball, and it's why we love minor league baseball so much. What park or what place, Clinton Yates, is minor league baseball peak nostalgic for you? Once again, we do not have to go far. Let me tell you a little story about the fictional home of Crash Davis. All right. This is going to sound slightly crass, but I love the Asheville Tourist Stadium so much with my man, Mr. Moon, and all the glorious beers that they have there. I have been there with multiple different people that I care about, if you get my meaning, because I like the ballpark that much and I wanted them to experience it with me. That joint is, to me, the epitome of what minor league baseball is supposed to be in the United States of America, as far as I'm concerned. Flat out. You know, and I don't, you, know, you can call it the best. You can say this, that, and the third. You can use your different superlatives. That's fine. But if you ask me where I want to go and where I want to be and where I want to watch a double-A ball game in a yard, oh, 
get out of here. Home of the tourists? Are you kidding me? I have multiple pieces of gear from that place because I love it so much. Wicked Weeds there. Uh, you know, New Belgium's there. Like, dude, it's tight. Like, Nashville tourists are the peak minor league baseball experience, in my personal opinion. That doesn't put anybody else down. It just means that that particular brand is for me, for sure. Gotta love Asheville. Clinton Yates, you know him from ESPN. You know him from Around the Horn. You know him from The Undefeated and this great story that you should have already read. But if you didn't, you can find it at The Undefeated talking about tag team and the scoop There It Is commercial that you've watched a million times and likely enjoyed a ton. Clinton, appreciate the time, man. I'm sure we'll catch up somewhere down the road. Always a pleasure. Never a chore, gentlemen. Now comes the moment that you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. We promised an update on the great Cinnamon Toast Crunch scandal that we'll get to in a bit. But Tar Heel football is being talked about all across the country as a potential dark horse to be in the college football playoff this year. And it's starting to heat up now, this conversation, now that the Tar Heels are in spring practice. And what's kind of amazing to me about it is that the Tar Heels seem to be fully embracing the hype this spring. They're not afraid of it. They're approaching it as if they know exactly what's being said, that they believe what's being said, and they're carrying themselves uh, themselves this way. Robert, it used to be a cliche back when I first started. Oh, you got to drown out the noise. That used to be a thing you heard all the time. You can't listen to talk radio hosts like Josh Graham or read Ed Hardin's columns and pay attention what they're saying about you. You can't do that. You got to drown out the noise. Don't listen to the good. Don't listen to the bad. Just focus on yourself. Coaches don't even say that anymore because it's not realistic for 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids to get off their phone and not, not pay attention to the number of feedback that they get. Now it's about having kids understand what Twitter and social media are about making sure they understand the value of checking it and how often you should. The idea that they're not familiar with the things that are being said and written about them, it's ridiculous to suggest in 2021. So here's what Mac's doing. He's embracing it. He's not afraid of it. Most coaches would be. It would be, I'm terrified at the pressure that's going to be put on our kids trying to carry around these these rankings that people outside our program are attaching to our team. Oh, if you're preseason number seven in the country, you're going to be a top 10 ranked team. Can you handle that? Last year it was a problem when you went up against Notre Dame and faced Texas A&M. Some would downplay it, say it doesn't mean anything. Mac has enough security and enough understanding of the entire enterprise to do something differently here. He won at North Carolina in the 90s and made them a top 10 program. He won a national title at the biggest possible school you can in the country, the University of Texas. He became a Hall of Famer. He was on television at ESPN for five years, so he understands that side of it. And now he's back in Chapel Hill, winning a lot sooner than people thought he would, 
and got a contract extension earlier this week. If anybody in the ACC, other than Dabo, is feeling secure, it's Mac Brown. And I think that's where this comes from. All these things I mentioned, they are related to Mac being asked about all these expectations and answering it this way. I just think we're at a different point mentally. And we understand we've got a hard opening game at Virginia Tech, so nothing's going to be easy. And we've gotten so much publicity that, that people uh, are going to circle us. And, and we got to beat Carolina. It's the ABCs again, like we had here before. It's anybody but Carolina. Uh, but that's a good thing. It is a good thing. He knows publicity drives things. And that where you're ranked in the AP poll, even if the college football playoff committee says it doesn't, impacts the thinking of voters, impacts the thinking of college football fans, impacts perception. North Carolina is knocking down a lot of the perceptions we had before about the program. And it's happened in such a quick period of time. The Tar Heels, they're climbing the ladder of winning. They're climbing this ladder, and it's happening rapidly. I think there are three rungs to this ladder. I was told this years ago, I believe it. The first rung of winning is, I want to win. When Mac first took over the Tar Heels, this is where they were at. I want to win. Even though they had only won two games the previous year, I want to win. You're going to get good effort. That's the starting point on the ladder of winning. Once you figure out how to win, maybe you can get to the second ladder, second rung, which I'd say most of the winning programs in college football live. I expect to win. Year after year, I expect to win. I'm thinking about places like Boise State. I'm thinking about even a place like Wake Forest. I think they're at this stage yet. They're at this stage right now where each year they expect to win. We expect to go to a bowl game. It's disappointing if we don't win a bowl game. We expect to win. NC State, we expect to win. That's the second stage. I think that's where North Carolina currently is. This year we'll find out if there's any chance they can live up to the third and final rung of the winning ladder. It's my responsibility to win. Don't you hear that from Urban Meyer and from Nick Saban when they're winning a national title over the last 10 years? When they're asked how they feel, it's not elation. They're talking about relief. When you have those types of teams, that type of NFL talent all over your roster, it's your responsibility to win. That's where Alabama lives. That's where Clemson uh, lives. Ohio State lives. Notre Dame, Oklahoma. Georgia's getting there. North Carolina is not part of that group yet. But if they meet expectations this year and Matt keeps the recruit keeps on recruiting the way that he has around here and does it consistently over the next two or three seasons, maybe you can start having that discussion where you're in a place where not only are people ticked off if you lose a game, 
People are questioning the entire enterprise if you lose a game. It's that type of staggering, that type of surprising. And I think all this hype that we're talking about with the Tar Heels, it stems to that opener that Mac referred to there. At Virginia Tech, oh my goodness. The opening weekend of the college football season is bonkers. You've got Clemson going up against Georgia. I think Miami's playing Alabama. Can you double-check that? Robert, can you pull up the ACC football schedule for week one and just give me some of the matchups that we're talking about here? Clemson, Georgia is going to get the most national attention, but I think North Carolina, Virginia Tech, might be the biggest game of consequence because it's a ACC coastal game, and if North Carolina loses it, all the air comes out of the balloon. All the hype... All of it, it's it's gone. And they're not going to recapture it. It'd be like that LSU game to open the season a dozen years ago or so when Zach Pinalto caught the touchdown, but they lost to the Tigers. That's what it would feel like if they lose to Virginia Tech. It's a big game for the Hokies and Justin Fuente, who's facing a ton of pressure this year. But if the Tar Heels plan to have this incredible season where they take another step in year three under Mac, and it's Sam Howell, Having a Heisman-like campaign, they better win that first game. If they don't, all the air comes out of the balloon. Uh, The ACC games for week one, you already hit on Clemson and Georgia. Uh, The first one, NC State at USF. Then you got North Carolina and Virginia Tech. That's on Thursday. Yeah, that's big. Uh, Friday, Old Dominion and Wake Forest. Not a huge thing there. But Saturday, you've also got, in addition to Georgia and Clemson, you've got Miami against Alabama. Yeah. Uh-huh. You've got Syracuse against Ohio, kind of whap to that. But then the next day, you got Notre Dame, Florida State, and the day after that, you got Louisville, Ole Miss. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's that's as good of a season opening stretch as we're gonna have, and it's gonna feel awesome because you're gonna also have fans at all these games. I absolutely cannot wait. But we need to get to the biggest story of the day: the cinnamon toast controversy. Robert, for those who aren't familiar. Give us some of the details here. What's happened with the Cinnamon Toast Crunch uh, controversy? Okay, so a comedian slash rapper named Jensen Carp. Uh, you might not know him, but you would know his wife who played Topanga. This Dan- guy's married to Topanga. To Danielle Fisher, correct. All uh, of our dreams growing up. This he guy was enjoying a it. bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and on his second bowl, when he went back to the bag, he poured a bowl and noticed that there were some non-square-shaped cinnamon goodness in his bowl. Uh And those non-shapes ended up to be shrimp tails, as if you got a shrimp cocktail and you ate the meat out of the shrimp, and the only thing left was the shrimp tail. Uh, There were, I think, five of them in there, and when he brought this information to Kellogg's, they told him, oh, those pieces of shrimp, those aren't actually pieces of shrimp tail. Those are pieces of sugar that weren't blended well enough to stick to the actual cereal, which he called BS on. I don't blame him. Uh, And as of yesterday, he was taking them to get them tested at a research lab. There was also specks of black that he imagined was rat excrement. Those are also being tested today. And the only update, he he tweeted maybe six hours ago saying, I'm not going to tweet about this all day again. I don't have any new updates. Yeah, he's been tweeting a lot. Yeah, for two straight days about this. Uh, the only update we have from 16 hours ago comes from Jensen Carp. 
I'm happy to report a carcinologist, which is a crustacean researcher, uh, that works at NHMLA, don't know what that is, is going to morphologically identify the shrimp <laughs> using microscopy, and he will work with a team of researchers to use DNA to try and identify the putative shrimp down to the species. In all caps, this is happening. Uh, the follow-up tweet, they are also paying for this to be done, which is helpful when a corporation is telling the internet, I found wads of sugar. So basically, my shrimp got a scholarship. Is this enough to make you stop eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Uh, no way. This is like... Like, it's it's one of those things. Like, you could... A McDonald's spokesman could walk out and say, Josh Graham's the worst person ever. Double middle finger. I hate you. And I'll spit in your food if I ever know you roll up to the drive-thru. My reaction will be, how's he going to figure out it's me? McDonald's, it's... I mean, it's the value meal. I'm just going to roll through anyway. It right? does That's kinda, how I feel about Cinnamon Toast Crunch. If it's there and I want to snack on something, I'm not going to think twice. It does kind of expose how at least maybe I look at corporations like they're just trying to sweep this under the rug I as thought you were wrong possible. when you mentioned Kellogg's. It's, uh, ge- it's General Mills. Okay, General Mills. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Buzz City points that out. Appreciate that, Buzz City. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's great that General Mills is getting in the DMs of this of this person that's married to Topanga. The best post I saw today is if you're married to Topanga, you eat those shrimp tails and like it. I mean, I could you see that. You don't complain at all if you're married to Topanga. But imagine if he had a seafood allergy. Well, that's Just cuz you're married to Topanga doesn't keep you immune from needing an EpiPen, you know what I mean? Right. Like, there's some problems with this that I think should be addressed, and they probably won't be, even if he finds out that it is well, rat if pooping. It's just, if it's just shrimp tails that we're talking about, I don't think this is a big story. It's the poop part, and if it's proven it's not poop, I think Cinnamon Toast Crunch, crunch is going to be in the clear. I mean, it's it's not kosher, for one, which would affect a lot of people. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of underlying causes. Prospects from the top schools put to a final test. Get a glimpse of the next generation of NFL stars. Devontae Smith, Kyle Pitts, Zach Wilson, score! Everyone's watching, and NFL Network is here for it. Who will become a star on Pro Day and move up on Draft Day? That's a touchdown for Justin Fields. Pro Days, over 90 schools, all month long on NFL Network. If you're a first-time buyer, finding your first real home can feel like this. Hot property. Not going to last long. Multiple offers. 30 or fixed. We need earnest money. But a realtor has the expertise to strip away all the noise and focus on what really matters to you. You're going to love this place. Great neighborhood. School is walkable. It even has a huge yard so Henry can practice his penalty kicks. Finding the right place starts with you and a realtor with the expertise to make sure your voice is the only voice that matters. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. This is it. You ready? All right, hold on. All right, do it, do it, do it. All right, listen up. It's The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I kind of roll my eyes a bit with how we mythologize athletes, calling them heroes for playing a game. But sometimes there are cases where athletes actually demonstrate heroism. And we saw it in this story that just published involving a former Demon Deacon football player, Justin Haran, who's a Patriot starting offensive lineman. He was a late-round draft pick, started playing as a rookie, 
in the story that was reported by a local Tempe news station in Arizona. Justin Haran was described by police arriving at a woman's aid who was being attacked in a public park. Police say a man pushed a 71-year-old woman to the ground, started trying to pull her pants down, and made comments about sexually assaulting her. When Haran heard the woman screaming, he's doing off-season training in Arizona, and he's quoted in this story saying, At the moment, I was in shock. It was 11 a.m., middle of the day, in a very open field, and the fact that it actually happened there was was a very shocking thing. I wish I could tell you what I was thinking, but I could just tell someone needed help. All I could do was rush myself over there to make sure I could help the victim and I could comfort her and be the person I can be. I covered Justin Haran. You hear about how great, how how intelligent Wake Forest students are and the athletes are. Haran was one of the best guys to speak with after wins or losses. Great to deal with. And hero is something you can attack uh, attach to Justin Haran after today hearing this story out of Tempe, Arizona. Really cool thing there. Now being joined by somebody who has to try and top that. Adam Gold, our midday host, noon to three. You could listen to the Adam Gold Show. I got a lot of things I want to get to with you, Adam. And one of the things I was thinking about, how great things are starting to open up. I've, I get my second vaccine shot the day after the national title game. I'm excited about that. Uh, stadiums can open at 50% capacity. The Hurricanes and Hornets starting Friday. That's great for high school football as well. And it now has me starting to think we're getting close to the finish line. In what ways will sports look most different post-pandemic? We hear coaches talking about... At, now that we got the casual wear on the sidelines and we're wearing polos and basketball rather than suits, we're probably going to stick to that. Uh, I've been watching all these Zoom press conferences on SportsCenter and on television stations for the last year now. I don't know what media access is going to look like moving forward. Looking at it yourself, what ways do you think it'll be most different? Well, let me just go back real quick to the stadiums at 50%. Because until the distancing distance, if I can even say that, uh, drops from six to three feet, which I think is going to happen because they want to open up schools, until they do that, they can't get to 50% attendance anywhere. Like I know the Hornets announced 25%. My guess is that the Hurricanes on Saturday against the Lightning will be at 25%, which is roughly 4,800 for their capacity. So they won't be able to get to 50. Sure. Um, as for how things will be different, I think ultimately we'll go back to going into locker rooms and the Zoom thing. The Zoom thing is really not good for anybody. It's not good for teams. It's not good. It's good for the players who don't want to be bothered. Um, but most of these guys have, at least the guys I cover, have pretty good personalities. And I think that they... They wouldn't mind the face-to-face -face interaction with the people who cover them and write about them and talk about them. And coaches coaches uh, hate it, too. Like, let's take the Roy Williams example where I asked the question he didn't like. He made a joke or he, or he got mad about it, air quote, mad about it, and air quote, stormed out of the press conference. I don't believe the latter two really to be true. And if I'm in person, I can, you know, I can clarify the question. I can reframe the question. That dies in the room. 
And I'm here to tell you, like the college thing with Coach K, the college student thing, that's probably not a story either. I think it becomes a lot less clumsy. Shouldn't have been a story anyway with Coach K. I, mean, I agree. Do anything. I mean, he didn't. It, he didn't undress the student. He was just simply trying to put something in context that every people, everybody could understand. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I've never understood why coaches wore suits on the sidelines. I, I still don't understand why um, basketball coaches wear suits and ties or. Di- you know why they did uh, I asked Rod Brindamore do you think you'll ever not wear a suit and tie and he goes nope it's what we're supposed to do I'm like okay that's fine um, some coaches do some coaches don't John Tortorella is kind of like halfway he's got a uh, like a, a three quarter zip or a quarter zip up sweatshirt and a jacket over it it's very Bob Huggins-ish so I I think the thing that will change about sports after this is how we schedule. And I think that I'm looking forward to that because I think we're learning that these series actually have merit beyond this is the only way we can get the entire season in. It's anything you can do to lessen travel on athletes should be done. And the travel burden is, I think, the biggest part of playing on the road because you're on and off planes and that just wears you out. Uh, and I think ultimately we'll see a travel, uh, you'll see a, uh, a scheduling component that will change going forward. I don't know how much else will yeah, change. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the travel thing. Uh, you look at the quality of basketball, for example, in the bubble during the playoffs, it was unbelievable because they all yeah. had familiar, familiarity with the rims and none of them had the travel and they were all very fresh. Adam Gold's with us here. He's on Twitter at Fam. Listen to the Adam Gold Show, noon to three, right here on Sports Hub Triad. Let's talk minor league baseball. I know you love minor league baseball. I love minor league baseball. I prefer minor league baseball to major league baseball, even though I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. Uh, it's more to do with convenience and overall fun and not taking itself too seriously that I like about it, which is why I really enjoyed the news today that's now making national headlines, that there is a new wooden bat league team name called the uh, Carolina Disco Turkey. And it's got a great logo. It's in Winston-Salem. They're going to be in the same league, uh, the Coastal Plain Leagues, as uh, the High Toms in Thomasville, as you know, the Savannah Bananas, the Macon Bacon. Robert's putting together a list of his favorite minor league baseball team names. So let me just put it to Adam Gold. When you think great minor league baseball team names, where do you go first? Lansing Lugnuts. <laughs> I thought you were going to go Hartford Yard Goats or maybe no, the Isotopes. I was, I'm not aware of the Hartford Yard Goats, but Lansing Lugnuts is, is undefeated. Uh, Never the, lost. Uh, the Montgomery Biscuits, just for the logo on the hat, mm. uh, with, the, with the butter pad of butter coming out of the biscuit's mouth, is, uh, is tremendous. Um, but I would, not to, uh, not to wet blanket this, uh, but I would uh, I would stop short of referring to this as minor league baseball. This is unfortunately uh, the brainchild of a commissioner who hates the sport that he commissions because they're destroying the fabric of baseball by eliminating minor league teams. I mean, no offense to college wooden bat league. 
it's not minor league baseball. It's not close to minor league baseball. It's a shame what they're doing. And it kind of depresses me as a fan. I think... Call for me. Yeah. yeah. Not, a, not a fan of what uh, Rob Manford is doing. At the very end of your answer there, I think Rob Manford had a, had a hold of your phone line. Just at the Sorry. very end of that, uh, I think Rob Manford got you there. Uh, let's close things out here. What's for dinner, Adam Gold? Uh, Italian sausage, baked beans, uh, green beans, and uh, with some like uh, you know peppers, onions, and mushrooms. Wow, the peppers is gonna, yeah. are going to send that over the top. Robert Walsh, what do you got for dinner? I think it's just uh, leftovers night. Anything you want in the fridge, throw it in the microwave. In honor of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I've got shrimp and spaghetti squash going the night. Blue Apron? It's not Blue Apron. I don't believe you. No, that's what we're doing. There's Please. no way you put that Robert, together. Sarah Bradford right. put that Sarah together. Sarah Bradford texted me we're having shrimp and spaghetti squash. You're, you're right, Robert. That's Blue Apron. Guaranteed. <laughs> Adam Gold, I'll talk to you on Friday. Look forward to hearing you noon to 3 tomorrow right here on Sports Up Drive. Thanks, buddy. You got it, guys. Take care. There he goes. It's Adam Gold. And I think we heard something from maybe Adam Gold's kid there at the end. Okay, so I misunderstood you. I thought I was putting together the best mascots in the league that the oh, turkeys are. are in. You okay, are. Not the best mascots of all. No, no, no. Okay, cool. No, no, no. I was like, okay, well, I'm very one-sided here. I have one league represented. No, no, no. Because it's like the Montgomery Biscuits, great. The Albuquerque Isotopes, awesome. I love, and that's the one you see in The Simpsons. You got... Uh, the Hartford Yard Goats is one that immediately triggers in my mind for some reason. I don't know why. I, I love minor league baseball, man. The one that I always pick up on is I think it's the like the Akron a- Akron. Listen to me, Akron Rubber Ducks. The Rubber Ducks. Yep. My my friend Clip has a hat for them, and I always think the Akron Rubber Ducks. Big fan. I'm still gonna call it minor league baseball, but I get why Adam Gold isn't. Up next. Why I'm conflicted on Dayron Sharp deciding to go pro here on a Wednesday drive. This day in sports history. March 24th, 1936, the Detroit Red Wings beat the Montreal Maroons 1-0 in six periods of overtime, marking the longest Stanley Cup playoff game in NHL history, lasting 176 minutes. And in 1975, Muhammad Ali TKOs Chuck Wepner in 15 rounds to win the title. The fight inspired Sylvester Stallone to write the movie Rocky. And that's what happened. This day in sports history. Are you looking for something unusual or hard to find? You might just find it on HighBid.com. It's the online auction site for, well, just...